So I'm going to confess something to you guys. Um, I was nearly arrested a couple years ago. And um, I heard someone say, whoa. <laughs> I didn't tell the leadership that when I did my interview. And they, they asked a specific question. Is there anything we need to know that would shame church, the, the church, uh, the grace? And uh, I specifically said no. Because I didn't think it did. I, I didn't think it was a big deal. And you'll understand why. Um, I was a youth pastor for many years. And after a service... Um, I had a nephew who came and was living with us. As a matter of fact, he just came in, and he's, staying, he's, he's visiting us for a week. He's enrolled in the Navy, so he's visiting us for a week. And, uh, and he, ha- he was having some, some problems back home. And uh, so we got the phone call, can he come and stay with you guys and, um, and hopefully be a better influence in his life? And we said, sure. You know, we, we talked about it. We prayed about it, and Daisy and I did, and we felt that it was the right thing to do. So we, we brought him in. He moved to Laredo. He was here with us for three years. And he was a good kid overall. He was a really good kid, excelled in school, um, never gave us really any problems other than the typical teenage issues uh, of, of wanting to have a girlfriend and, you know, just having those conversations. But uh, other than that, he was a really good kid. But after this, this Wednesday night service, he had a friend who had a car, and uh, him and another friend decided that they were going to play a trick on her, and they were going to take her car and drive around the block and come back so that she would be spooked. Oh, what happened to my car? And in their mind, they thought this was a great joke, a great prank. Ha, ha, ha. We're going to laugh and have a great time. Um, and there's, there's laws against that. And that's, I think it's a joyride law. I think that's what they call it. I think that's what the police officers told me. And so they drive off of the parking lot. And they, he forgets, he's the one driving. He forgets to turn on the lights to the car. <laughs> so as soon as he drives out of the parking lot, he got pulled over. <laughs> So he gets pulled over a little further up on the road, and I'm, I'm looking for him. It's after, it's after the youth service, and we would finish kind of late, and, and I was ready to go home. And I'm looking for him. I was like, where, where, is, where is he at? Where is he at? And some, someone calls me and says, Pastor, I just saw your nephew. He was, he was getting, um, he got pulled over up by, by the stop sign. I said, what? So I'm freaking out. I take off on a four or five sprint all the way over there. And, uh, and, and I get there, and when I get there, I'm a little, I, I'm not aggressive at the police officer. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. I'm his guardian. What's going on? So I get there, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. What's happening? What's going on? I'm, I'm his guardian. And, and the police officer took it serious. Sir, stop right there. I need you to stand back. I'm like, stand back. I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything. I just need to know what's going on with my nephew. And I understand what he's doing. I mean, he was there by himself. He didn't have... His, he didn't have a partner with him, so he, he needs some space. He needs to know that he's safe while he's performing his, his obligations to, to, to serve and protect our community. And, um, and he's, so, but, but he's getting serious with me. Stand back. I'm like, okay, okay. So I stood back, and I'm still asking, so what's going on? Can I whisper? What's happening? <laughs> and, and he didn't respond. He said, I'll be with you in a moment. I'm like, so he's talking to my nephew. My nephew's in the driver's seat, and he's talking to him. And all of a sudden, I see the door open, and he gets my nephew out of the car. And he puts his hand on top of the car, and he's arresting him. He's putting him in handcuffs. I, I lost it. I lost it because in my mind, I'm thinking, they sent him here so that he doesn't get into trouble. He gets here, and now he's getting arrested, which never happened back home. What are they going to think? And, and, and inside of me, I'm yelling. I'm just yelling inside, no, no. And I think one of those no's actually was was verbalized, and, and, and I grabbed my cell phone, and at that time, the brand new iPhone was about to come out, 
So I grabbed my cell phone and said, this is a perfect opportunity. Why? I threw it against the wall so I could break it uh, because I wanted a new phone, not because it was happening. <laughs> but it was a good excuse to break the phone. And when Daisy hears it, she's going to say, I knew it. I knew it. She tells me that all the time. And, uh, and anywho, and this is all developing, happening. I'm like, no. And I chuck my phone against the wall. Granted, I'm still like 25 feet away from the officer, right? So it shouldn't have. I, I didn't think that. I, I mean, the wall was this way. He was way over there. So I said, no, and I threw it against the wall. And I'm just seeing my nephew being arrested. And I, like the, the, the most negative thoughts are going through my mind. I'm thinking, was it drugs? Was it this? Was it that? Was, what happened? What did he do? Why? Why would you do this, Junior? Why? And I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm losing it. I'm just losing it. And, uh, and, and after he's done getting both of them in the car, he proceeds to walk towards me. I'm like, officer, I, I need to know what's happening. And he's like, sir, get against the wall. I'm like, what? What are you? I was like, okay. So I get against the wall and put my hands on the wall and spread your, spread your feet apart. And I'm like, I'm on the wall like this. Granted, this is after service, so people from our church are driving by, right? <laughs> and I'm standing there like looking back and I see one of the, one of the pastor's wives drive by and I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, hey, put your hand on the wall. Oh, sorry. I couldn't wave at nobody. And, and he said, sir, you are being aggressive. I said, against who? With who? And he said, with me. I said, with you? What, what did I do? Well, you're yelling. Sir, I turned and yelled at the wall. But you're throwing things. I threw my phone at the wall. I'm, I'm angry at the situation, not you. And he was, well, I, I need to know who you are. Give me your information. I just, at that point, I just said, I, I, will, I will have this conversation with you if you allow me to get my hands off the wall, uh, like, a, like, a law abiding, like the law-abiding citizen I am, and I'll turn around and have a conversation with you. So I pleaded with him a couple of times, and he finally did. He got off the wall, and we had the conversation. He said, well, they were doing this. It's considered joyride. So I'm waiting for the, the owner of the car to come. If they're willing to press charges, we'll take him in and put him in jail. And inside of me, I'm thinking, this guys he's, this kid's an A honor roll student. He's never gotten in trouble with the law here in Laredo. He's never done anything wrong. He was pranking his friend, however... He did take her car. And I'm thinking, but isn't there worse things to be worried about right now? Why, why this? What, what's going on? And, 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 and I know that we've all had those feelings if we're honest with ourselves, right? You're pulled over for speeding. Wait a minute, didn't you just see that guy? That guy was doing 100. I was doing 75, and it's 70. Come on. Five miles? I live under the five-mile cushion, and Daisy always gets mad at me, but I live with that cushion. I truly believe in that system. And um, it's like, come on, are you serious? You know, and we're always thinking, here's the thing with, with culturalism and moralism is we're always thinking that there's someone else in this world that's worse than us. And because they're worse than us, we are, uh, we're okay. I mean, have you ever had a conversation with someone about the gospel and they say, no, I'm okay. I don't, I don't need a savior. I mean, I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. You know, I give to charity. I love my wife. I raise my kids and do the best I can for them. I, I, I mow my lawn. I mean, am I not a good man? Am I not a good person? And the argument is always about how good they are. But there's always that little, that little area where they're weak. Well, I mean, come on. Doesn't, doesn't everyone get drunk on the weekends all the time? I mean, <laughs> doesn't everyone live drunk during the week as well? I mean, come on. Everyone has that issue. I'm like, no, I don't. No, that's not, no, not everyone has that issue. But the reason why we do that is because we measure ourselves to someone else. And what we're going to see in this passage is that Paul 
is going to speak directly to that. And that's what we're talking about with moralism. And we see it in our country. We see it in our nation. We see it in our culture. Uh, we see it in the thought of, well, here in the United States of, of America with democracy, we got it all figured out. And then the elections happen and everyone's going crazy. I can't believe these people are running. Those people are running. Oh, what are we going to do? And, and it's because no matter how well we have it figured out, uh, it, it's not always perfect. It's still a system in the hands of, of, of a humanity that's broken. And so no matter how good we think we are, we have to be careful with how we measure ourselves and with whom we measure ourselves and how we judge and condemn others. And that's what Paul is going to be talking about here in Romans chapter 2. He's, he's, he's turning away from general revelation, and in, in a sense, he was, he was directing it to everyone and also the people that, uh, that didn't have uh, the education that civilized Rome had. Uh, he was speaking more uh, for the barbarians and not the civilized culture. But in, in chapter 2, he's in verses 1 through 11, that's exactly what he's going to be talking about, is civilized humanity, the moral upright, the righteous, the ones who think they have it all figured out because we, we think our power, money, education, social status is enough for us to be okay with God. And Paul is going to address that today. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And so scripture says this, it says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And that's the question he poses, and he's talking to those, uh, again, it's, it's this civilization, this, this moral, upright civilization. We have it figured out. We're civilized people. Uh, we clothe ourselves. We even, well, back then they would bathe once a month, you know, or so, so, you know, something like that. I don't know exactly how, they would, how often they would do it, but they weren't very clean in our standards, you know. So, but anywho, they had it figured out. They were, they were an educated civilization. They had established themselves. And they were passing judgment on those who didn't have and that uh, in, in their time were less fortunate. They didn't live in this. And so he poses that question and brings me to point number one for today, and it's this. It's, I will not escape the righteous judgment of God because I can find people worse than me. I will not escape the righteous judgment of God because I can find people worse than me. And so th their tendency was uh, to judge others was very much like present, like, like today, like present day society. And, and we're not that far off. So I think it would be wrong for us to see this and say, well, we're not the Romans and we definitely aren't the barbarians. So this isn't speaking to us. But no, we see it. We see it today. We see it in the different classes. I mean, we look at the, the poor and the rich. We look at them differently. We look at the educated and the uneducated in different ways, uh, the religious or non-religious. I mean, we even separate corporate America and blue-collared America. 
even within our own education system, it's set up so that everyone can enter into, into corporate America because blue-collared America, well, come on, that's for the uneducated. I mean, we, we make these divisions and we pass these judgments in our own society just as Rome is doing here. And it's dangerous for us not to do that because what that does it, is it gives us a false sense of security and we start thinking, well, because I have it figured out, well, because I got my education, well, because I went from poor to rich or from poor to well-being or because I have certain things and I've done well, then I'll be okay with God. But we have to understand, church, that we're not going to be judged off of man's standards. We're going to be judged off of the standards of a perfect being, a perfect God, the creator of this universe. And when God brings forth his judgment, he's not going to say, well, you're okay because you didn't actually commit adultery. You may have thought about it a couple of times. Now your neighbor, <laughs> he did it a lot of times. So you're okay. You get into, we'll go ahead and take your, go ahead and walk through the narrow gate. He's not going to do that. He's going to say, my standard was that you would have one wife and one wife only. And that not only your actions would re resemble that, but your thoughts as well and your heart as well. And it's dangerous when we start playing the game of, well, I'm better, or well, we're better, or we lived in this civilized nation, in this great nation that is the United States of America. But we have to figure out, or we have to remember, that even as a great nation, or as great of people we are, we don't have it all figured out. And if we're honest, we all do this. Everyone does this. I mean, how many times have you as a husband gotten into a little spat discussion or argument, however small or big it might have been, I don't know. I consider all of Daisy and mine small. Right? Um, but how many of you after that discussion, argument, or whatever it may have been, walk away thinking, man, if she only knew how good she has it with me, because <laughs> some of those co-workers I have, man, they are bad. <laughs> Let me tell you, they sleep with everything they see, they don't care about their family. The only time they want to spend with them is, is with their friends as well. I mean, and I, at least I'm a family man. And we all do this. And wives, you do the same thing. Well, <laughs> oh my goodness. At least I get manicures and pedicures. I get all nice and neat for my husband. I keep the house clean. I do everything I need to do as a wife. <laughs> if he only knew how good he had it. And we start judging others. And now... Uh, now, now, now we are, are judging ourselves based off of someone else and not off the standards of the scriptures and not off the standards of a holy God, one who calls us to love one another and calls, us to, uh, calls your wives to submit to your husbands. And now those standards are thrown out the window. Oh, that was for that culture. That was for that time. Well, be careful with doing so because this is still the word of God. And it's true today as it was yesterday and it will be forever. And these are the standards that God will judge us by and not by any other. Another thing that that type of thinking does is, is it, 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 it leads us to thinking that other people are the problem, right? I mean, how many times have you thought, oh, man, if we could get rid of that, get rid of <laughs> this person, let's get him out of the classroom. If we could get him out of the classroom, all of my students here would be A students. I mean, these, these types of thoughts happen all the time. Man, if it wouldn't be for those uneducated people, if it wouldn't be for those poor people, if it wouldn't be for those whatever it may be, we start thinking that everyone else is the issue 
And what, it, what that does is it pulls us away from looking at the true issue. And the true issue is the sin nature that's inside of me and that's inside of you. And that's what, that's what moralism does. That's what thinking that we're better than, than others does. That's what thinking that, that, that we're okay because, uh, because, because someone else is just really bad. But see, the problem with that truth is that if you think that and you're a good person, uh, there are some bad people, some really bad people who think the exact same way. I was, I was reading a quote from, from Al Capone, a notorious gangster. He was on the, the, the FBI's most wanted list, and he said, all I do is give people the lighter pleasures in life, and now look how I'm being treated. I mean, this guy was a murderer. This guy was the worst of the worst, and he thought the exact same thing we think. Can you imagine... A civilization, can you imagine a people that only focus on others and not focus on God and the holy standards of God? We would live in a crazy, crazy, crazy world. And what we have to remember, church, is that God's judgment will rightfully fall on all of us. When I say rightfully, it's because that judgment is coming with truth. And that truth is you committed the action. So if you committed the action... It's worthy of, of God's judgment or reward. See, there's a difference. Those who are believers will be rewarded according to their actions. So their reward will either be less or more in eternity based off of the, their works and the things that we do and the things that we don't do. However, those that for whatever reason don't come to trust in Christ and believe in Christ, they will be judged eternally for their sin for their actions and works. So all of us will be judged. But we have to remember that that judgment is going to fall rightly on us. It's a righteous judgment. And it will happen. And we have to be careful with trying to measure up with other people and judging other people and condemning other people because they don't believe what we believe. They don't think what we don't think. Well, God is saying, be careful, because we're all, we're all guilty of sin. All of us are guilty of sin. So let's keep, let's keep reading. Chapter 2, now we're, we're in verse 4. So verse 4 says this, it says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and, imp and, imp and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And now we're talking about the goodness of God. So we're talking about his judgment. We're still talking about his wrath. But notice there's a little spot in there in regards to God's goodness and what that goodness is. And so my second point for today, for today is that God's goodness does not overlook my sin. But it leads me to repentance. It doesn't overlook my sin, but it leads me to repentance. I mean, and again, I, how many of you have had a conversation with someone in regards to the gospel? And the response that you hear is, well, if he really is and truly is a good God, a God of love, then how can he condemn people to hell? How can he do that if he's a loving and good God? 
they're not they're looking at from the they're looking at it from the wrong side because here we're we're learning that we're all sinful. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory. And that's what Paul will say later on in the book of Romans that all for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God in his goodness and love saves us out of that wrath, saves us out of that eternal judgment out of out of hell. He takes us from that. But the common thought of the person is, well, how could a good God do such a thing? Another thing that we see is that we think that because God is good, uh, a lot of times we think that our continued sin won't be judged. He's a good God. He's a good God. And, and that's, that's what Paul means here by presuming on the riches of his goodness. We're making something of it that, that, that isn't. We're thinking that, well, because God is good, my sin will go unjudged, but that's not true. Because God is good, God will, uh, ju- will bring justice according to our actions, a righteous justice. He will judge in a righteous manner. But he doesn't overlook our sin just because he's good. He doesn't do that. And, and again, many times we use and we take the goodness of God to mean something that it doesn't. We, we want it to fit the mold that we want God to fit in. And we have to be careful with that because even in that, when we're not serving and worshiping and, and, and living under the thought of a, the true God that we have in Scripture, we begin to create our own idol of what God should be. And this God should not condemn anyone to hell. And this God, because he's good, shouldn't allow any disasters, any tragedies in this world. And we start making of God what isn't there. And that's because we're presuming on his goodness and the riches of his goodness. And another thing that that we do is we forget what this passage is saying. Because God's goodness means this. It means that he is being patient with his wrath. It means that he is withholding his wrath. He's keeping it from us. But for what? For what purpose? And that purpose is repentance. See, though this world is is worthy of the wrath of God falling on it because of all of our sin, God withholds that in forbearance and patience and his goodness with the hope of your repentance. His his desire is that we should all repent and that none should perish. So he withholds it so that that can happen, so that that can come about. And that's seen throughout the history of of the Bible. I mean, we see Adam and Eve, and the thought there was if you eat of the tree, then you will surely die. But did they die the day of? No. They didn't. Forbearance. We see it in the flood and how God withheld the flood for 120 years until the ark was built so that humanity could be preserved. We see it with the Israelites in the desert and how God waited and withheld his wrath and his judgment from his people after 40 years of being in the, in the desert and 40 years of disobedience and disbelief and disrespect and mockery towards him. We, he withheld his wrath. 
He even withheld his wrath when they entered into the promised land and and tried to adopt the ways of other nations and the gods of other nations. And they spat on the God that saved them from Israel. And and they spat on the God that, uh, the God that saved them from Egypt, I'm sorry. And they spat on him. They spat on the one that fed them, the one that gave them water, the one that protected them, the one that won the battles for them, and the one that cleared the promised land so that they could enter into that promise. And when exile was inevitable, what does God do? God brings the prophets and and the prophets come and, and they lead the people back into repentance so that they could come back into the promised land, into the favor of God. So throughout history, God is withholding and withholding and being patient and long suffering is what the word means. Long suffering. That though This world is is worthy of God's eternal wrath now. He withholds it for the purpose of repentance. See, if God's goodness doesn't lead us to repentance, church, then we have a false understanding of that goodness. We think that God's goodness is is, is our genie in a bottle. We think that that God's goodness is, is meant to be a, 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 a get-out-of-jail-free card. We think that God's goodness is meant to allow us to continue to sin and stay in our sinful ways when Scripture clearly says that is not the truth. But this loving God withholds this wrath so that we can all come into repentance and understanding who He is and understanding His goodness and truth. His goodness and truth. So from this day going forward, when you think of God's goodness, remember repentance. Remember that you can't do this alone. You need God. And that we have to be careful in not judging others and thinking that because others are so bad, we're so good. Because in the eyes of God, we have all sinned. We have all sinned. We have all sinned. Let's keep reading. Verse 6 says, He will render to each according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. That's scary. But that's here, and that's the truth. For those who seek unrighteousness, who seek sin, who seek to continue to suppress the truth and reject God, there will be wrath and fury. But for those who patience and well-doing, and so what is he talking about here? He's, He's saying that for those who are willing to wait, who are willing to wait on the kingdom of God, that are willing to wait on the eternal blessing that are willing to wait on the new heaven and new earth. They're willing to wait on these blessings from God. They're being patient. To them, to them, it will be given eternal life. And why? Because they're putting the things of God before everything else. They're not allowing their sinful nature. They're not allowing the lust of the flesh and the possibility of being better because we're not as bad as others to lead them to sin. They're not allowing that to lead them away from God because their focus is on God. Their focus is on Christ. Their focus is on 
eternity. And so for them will be eternal life, but for those seeking in righteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. And there what he's saying is, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what culture you grew up in, it doesn't matter what race you are, how old you are, how smart you are, if you graduated from Harvard or you don't have a college education, if you got a high school diploma or you don't have a high school diploma, it doesn't matter if, if you're in the upper tax bracket or you're not. It doesn't matter to God because God doesn't, God doesn't, he's impartial. He will show the same to everyone regardless of who you are and what you've come from. In verse 10, it says, But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. There you go. God shows no partiality. So my last point for today, point three, says this. It says, I can only receive glory, honor, and peace through the good works of Jesus Christ. Through the good works of Jesus Christ. So Paul has gone through this entire discourse, of, of and he's continuing it, of sin and how bad we are. But then at the very end there at verse 10, he says something that's interesting. He says, uh, but glory and honor and peace to, for everyone who does good. Now, when we stop there and you have to ask a question. You have to say, okay, well, number one, he's already said that we've all, we're all sinners, okay? Uh, human nature is to, to reject God. Human nature is to sin. And we see that. We, we see that immediately uh, in, in, in kids' lives and babies' lives. I mean, I, I said a few weeks ago, I didn't teach uh, I didn't teach Adeline how to uh, have an attitude and, and, and try to get what she wants. It just came natural to her, you know. And right now her favorite word is new, 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 you know. And that's just what she says. So we have to correct her on that. We have to teach her. You can't do that. And, and then she'll start crying. And, and you, you know, we have to correct her. And, hey, you can't throw a temper tantrum. And that's not going to get you what you want. Um, but that's just, that's, that's in our nature. That's in our DNA. We, we were all born into sin. We're all born into sin. So his, his, his statement here that, uh, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, how does that work? How does that fit into what we're teaching and, and what we believe? Well, this comes later on in the last half of chapter 3, but I'm going to jump into it now because the only way that we can experience this glory, honor, and peace is not through our own works because our works have already shown us what we deserve, and we deserve the wrath of God. And that wrath is because of our sin. No matter how small, no matter how big, no matter how civilized or uncivilized, no matter how good we think we are, no matter how much we, we try to measure ourselves to people around us or to our neighbors or, or to our community, and, and, and we're all guilty of that. But no matter, we've all sinned. And so this statement really doesn't, it doesn't work here unless we're talking about knowing that the only person who has done that is Christ Jesus. That the only person who has come to this world and lived a perfect life is our Savior, is the Son of God. And again, it's keeping our focus on Him and not on ourselves and not where we live and, 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 and not the, the religious institution that we belong to, not the denomination we belong to. I mean, we even do that within churches and we think, well... <laughs> They don't believe in this truth, and we do. So I don't know if they're really saved, you know. I don't know. And they're Protestants just like we are. 
and, and they believe in, in salvation only through Christ, but we find these little things to argue about, and we make that bigger than the big picture. We make that bigger than the big deal, and now we're judging them, and they're judging us, and we're going back and forth. We even do it within churches and cause divisions and hurt within the body of Christ. We even do that now. But Christ came, and he lived the perfect life. So how do we receive this glory? How do we, do we receive this honor? How do we receive this peace? Well, it can't be because of our works, because those are already bad. The only good works that we can rely on and put our trust in is his. Is in the one that came to this world and was tempted in every way that we were, yet remained true to the path yet remain faithful to his Father's plan. And today you might be sitting here and this might be something new for you and you might have been thinking that, well, because I've gone to grace for 20 years, I'm going to make it into heaven. And now you're understanding, you know what, that has nothing to do with it because it's all about the works of Christ. I have to put my trust in him and in him alone and in no one else and not even myself. I can't put my trust in my government. I can't put my trust in democracy. I can't put my trust in how much money is in the bank account. I can't put my trust in my education. I can't put it in my house. I can't put it in how amazing of a family I've built. I have to put it in him and him alone because in the midst of all of that, I am still a sinner. I am still fallen in my works in the eyes of a perfect God whose standard is the one by which he judges. I still am not good enough. And what does that do is that that humbles us, that brings us to our knees, that breaks our heart. It, 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 it breaks our heart, it, bra it breaks our pride, and it says, God, there's nothing that I can do to receive glory, honor, and peace and eternal life. And the only way I can do that is through your grace and through your son Jesus who died on the cross for me, for everyone else. And that focus goes back to him and him alone. And we're talking about judging. and We're talking about, about how we have that tendency to measure ourselves with someone else. But isn't it ironic that the one that came and lived the perfect life didn't come to judge, but he came to lead to repentance. He came to make a way. He came to take away the sins of the world. He doesn't sit in heaven and say, you're this and you're that. Oh, look how bad they are, Father. Look how good I am. No. You know, the other day I was explaining the gospel to my daughter, and I said, I was trying to put it in terms that she would understand. I was realizing that, you know, we're, we're teaching them to read their word, and we're teaching them songs, and we're teaching them to love God, but are we really teaching them what for? And so it just dawned on me, and I said, you know what? Let me start trying to explain the gospel a little clearer to her, and and uh, so we're having a conversation. I said, well, put it this way. I said, say your, your brother broke all the rules and he disobeyed us completely in everything. And you never did. And you obeyed us perfectly. I said, you did everything we asked you to do. And the moment that we asked you to do it, you were just perfect in everything that we asked you to do. But your brother... <laughs> He just did the complete opposite. And I asked her, I said, so you don't like receiving spankings. Would you take your brother's spanking for him and say, no, dad, no, 
Don't spank my brother. Even though he did everything wrong and I did everything right, I'll do it for him. I'll take that spanking. And she looked at me and opened her eyes and she said, no. I wouldn't do that. I said, you're right, you wouldn't because you don't even like getting your own spanking. And she just kind of giggled and she was just looking at me with wide eyes. She's, huh. I said, that's what Jesus did for us. You see, within the church, within the brethren that, 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 that we have, like, he's the first. He's the big brother that had everything to lose. He's the big brother that did everything right. He's the big brother that obeyed his father in the most perfect way. But he never casts his judgment on you. And instead of willing or instead of judging us, he was willing to take our punishment and our wrath. The wrath that we deserved because of our works and because of our sin, our big brother said, I'll do that. I'll take that for them. And not only was he not going to judge us, and not only did he take our wrath, but he was willing to share his inheritance with us and say, Father, they are my brothers. They are my sisters. And with them, I share my inheritance. He wasn't selfish. He wasn't caught up in himself. He wasn't caught up in his own emotion and in self selfishness, he was completely selfless and willing to do for us what no one else would do, what you wouldn't do, what I wouldn't do without judging. But he came to give salvation and eternal life. He came to give up his own life so that those who had spat on the Father, who had turned their backs on him, who had rejected him, even with all the general revelation that we see today, we had rejected him in our sin and suppressed the truth. And Jesus said, hey, it's okay, because I'm going to die on the cross for them. You see, sin is a big deal to God. And I can't understand why anyone would think that it isn't when it took him to give his own son on the cross to make a way for you and I because of our sinfulness. Sin is a big issue to God. And he knew that that was the only way. So how can we then look on him and think that his goodness will not judge me? When, how, if he judged his own son based off of your works and mine, how could we think that his goodness doesn't lead to us being judged or to this world being judged? How could we do that? And he did it for you and me. See, it's very easy, and it would be very easy for all of us to get into heaven <laughs> if we could do that with, through our own thought of we're better than another person and judging other people and measuring up to other people. But that's not the truth. The truth is, is that we have to measure up to the holy standard of a holy God. And because he loved us, he knew that we weren't going to make it. So he gave his son to die on the cross for you and for me so that we 
could experience salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, and eternal life. So we have to remember that. You say, well, what do I do with this today? Well, again, I mean, this might be the first time you've come to understand that by your works, you're not getting into heaven. It's only through your trust in Christ Jesus. So hopefully today your eyes are being opened and you can put that trust in him for the very first time. And some of you who have done that years ago, but fallen back to the same old, same old mentality of thinking, well, if, if they're bad, <laughs> I'm still good in the eyes of God. Lord, I please you. I bring pleasure to you, even with my small, minute sin, because their sin is just so big. We fall back into this mentality, but we have to remember it's not based on that. And sin is a serious issue to God, regardless. Regardless, it's a serious issue. And what does this do for us? Is it, again, it brings us, it humbles us. It humbles us so that we can humbly love and serve our God who loved us so much to do this for us. It humbles us so that we can love others and not judge them and not try to make them our way to getting into heaven, but it causes us with a humble spirit and a humble heart to share the gospel of this true love of God that made a way for us all. And we focus on that. We focus on loving others and not judging others. It brings humility to our lives. And in the same way, it helps us humbly serve the God who loves us. The God who loves us. Say this with me. Say, my trust is in Christ and not myself. My trust is in Christ and not myself. Can you imagine the impact that a church that walks in a humble state, in a humble way, can have in a community who's been offended, who's been hurt by a false gospel, by a gospel that says that I'm better than you, that a, by a gospel that says that, that we're above you, that you're, you're the slum of this earth. Can you imagine the hearts that could be healed, that could be restored, that could be reconciled with the brethren and with the church? Because we don't know how to handle the sin of others. And we bring judgment and condemnation on them. And we turn them away from the God that loves them. Can you imagine a church that would walk in the humility and understanding that it's by Him and Him alone? Instead of running away from God, people would run to God. Instead of dividing churches and running away from churches, we would allow God to build a stronger church, 
a stronger body that would help one another, that would love one another and not judge one another. If we could forget about how good we think we are, if we could forget about how bad we think others are, and we could solely focus on the fact that our trust is in Christ and not ourselves, the impact would be great. Our community would be able to hear a gospel that is true, that is impactful, and a gospel that brings forgiveness of sins through a Savior that was willing to give it all for us all, even them. gospel would do what it's supposed to do, and that's pierce the hearts of those and of us. So let's walk in humility, church. Let's walk in humility. Let's pick our heads up. And let's not let anyone's condemnation fall on us. And let's remember that my eternal life and my eternal security is only there because of him and no one else. It's only there because of him and not ourselves. And we can look up and we can thank God because of his goodness. We can thank God because of his forbearance, because of his patience. And we can reach our community with a gospel that changes lives and not one that ruins lives. Let's be that church. Let's be that people.